Well, good evening again. I don't know about you, but this service always feels to me like a finish line. If we can just get, if we can just get here, then Chris will be here, and then we can relax, and, and things will be good. And, uh, and so for me, this day especially has been a day of just, all right, can we get through this? Can we get through this? Can we get through this? And, uh, and along the way, someone told my kids that they had a tradition of opening a present on Christmas Eve. So we got to have that argument today. And guess what? New tradition in the Moss family. Uh, and, and I think today is like a microcosm of life, right? Like where you're just, you're pushing through, you're trying to get to some finish line. Uh, and then when you have that mentality, everything that comes up just feels like it's one more obstacle. It's one more interruption. It's one more um, thing to be frustrated by because you've got this, this finish line that you're trying to get to and there's something that's keeping you from just trying to, trying to roll your way or have inertia down towards that thing. And it puts me in mind, there is a bridge in Durham, North Carolina. It's a train bridge with an underpass, and so the train goes over the street traffic. And this bridge has a clearance of 11 feet, 8 inches, which is fine. Like, that's posted on the signs all around. It's, it's clear that that's its clearance. Uh, the issue is most of your standard-sized moving trucks are a little bit over 12 feet tall. And they're not necessarily used to a bridge that isn't actually tall enough for their trucks. And so it leads to a tragic and yet also somewhat grotesquely hilarious situation. Check this out. And it just keeps going. <laughs> Hundreds of trucks have hit that bridge. And I show you that clip for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's a very fitting metaphor for people that are just trying to get through life and, and, and are just assuming that the bridges around them are tall enough for their trucks. Uh, and then secondly, it's 1130 and I don't know if you've taken a nap. Uh, and so I figure a little vehicular violence might help keep you guys alert for the next 20 minutes or so. But it begs the question, right, if, if one person runs into a bridge, that's, that's their fault. If everyone is running into a bridge over and over and over again, something's wrong, systemically. And so the question that I put to you 
is how would you fix this? If you were you know, on the city council of Durham, North Carolina, and you just knew that there was this issue that trucks were constantly getting can opened on this bridge, what would you do about it? Wait, what's that? Yeah, right? And so we're gonna circle back around to this question. I'm not gonna leave you hanging on how you should maybe fix this. But let's broaden the scope for a moment before we get there, which is you've got a God who's created a universe, he's populated it with people, people that he loves, and he's told them with signs, just like this bridge, I mean, you saw it, it's got a sign that says 11 feet, eight inch clearance. And he's given people signs for how they should live their lives, and then he just watches his people over and over again run their trucks into bridges. And the sign clearly isn't cutting it anymore. You know, you've given them your Ten Commandments. You said, look, just do these ten things and, and the rest of life's going to go okay for you. And they just keep not doing it. They keep running into the bridge of the Ten Commandments. How do you fix it? What do you do if you're God? And ultimately, it's the answer to that question is what we're celebrating and remembering on this particular holiday. See, there came this point where God said the signs aren't doing their job. And so then this one particular moment in history happened. And you already heard David read it a second ago, so I'm just going to circle back around to a quick moment of this story that uh, presumably you know pretty well by now. But this is from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The moment came where God decided the signs that had been clearly posted were not enough, and he was doing something different in this world. And he called out, gave these lowly shepherds an opportunity to not just be focused on a finish line, not just be trying to get through the next thing, the latest interruption, but to look up and see this new thing that he was doing. With that in mind, we're going to watch a clip from a documentary about that bridge, and we're going to see what the civil engineer that they hired did to fix the situation. Let's then it became a, a part of my job as an engineer to get in there and try to fix the problem, eliminate the problem, or attempt to eliminate the problem. The thought was, and, and, and the original idea was a concept that, that, that our state traffic engineer actually came up with. Let's, let's signalize this. There are multiple stakeholders, as I would call them, at this particular location, obviously the railroad being number one. You've got the state road, Gregson, coming through there, which I would rank two, and then you've got a city street, which is Peabody, intersecting that. And so I rent the truck, my GPS says, take Gregson. Driving down the road, 
everything's going smooth. So the crash beam itself is, is one stout piece of steel that was built, designed with one intent, and that was to absorb any impact coming down that road and preserve the structure of that, that railroad bridge. Today, now that we've installed the traffic signal out there, you rent a box truck, you're driving down the road, you now trigger a sensor out there, it actually will trigger the traffic signal to go red. So where you weren't stopping before, you now have to come to a, a stop for the red light and a large LED panel pops up that reads the message, overheight vehicle must turn. So the thought process is I'm driving that truck it's gonna trigger that, at least me to read that message, unless I'm completely distracted. I'm going to read that message, and the thought process that we had is hopefully that, that driver is going to think, that could be me. And take the conservative approach and turn onto the side street and avoid the collision. That's what's taking place today. I've seen it in action when I go through there. I'm always impressed to see folks follow the message. Uh, there have been a, a couple that, that, that have completely ignored it. put in a bright glowing sign with the red traffic signal that says over height must turn and people still run into the bridge. Doesn't it figure? I don't know if you caught the second to last one of the bulldozer, a car honked at the last minute was trying to tell him stop, 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 didn't stop. And if you keep watching the documentary, you, you, you circle back on that engineer and, and he's pretty disheartened. <laughs> at the end of the day, that this was the fix they could come up with. And I don't know if you caught uh, at the beginning there, one of the issues is there were too many stakeholders. There's the, the train company, and then there's the state highway, and then there's the local city street. And, and so no one can agree on whose problem it is to fix it. And, and what they can agree is actually fixing the problem would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Raising the bridge, which would be the obvious solution, is too costly, too expensive. So they put a glowing light in the sky, and they hope that people will look up and notice that they should do something different. And they don't. And so now let's circle back around to our lives. Why don't we notice? Why don't we look up and see the signs that are clearly there, that God's given us, that, that he's put people and family and opportunities in our lives to try to dissuade us from this path of action that's gonna end in a crash? And using this metaphor, I was thinking about it this week. I think one of the things he called out, I think sometimes we're distracted. We're, we're so just frazzled and trying to do eight things at once. And, and so even though the fact that there's a glowing sign, we just don't even see it. Because we're trying to pay attention to too many things. We're too distracted. Or maybe, uh, this one I think comes up in my life a lot. Surely that sign doesn't apply to me. Overheight must turn. That's for the other trucks. 
And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where they're trying to make decisions, choices in their lives, and there's a fairly clear scriptural teaching. And I go, ah, yeah, but, but I've decided I don't think that's what God means for me. And I don't say that flippantly. I do that all the time myself. That things are really clear. The teachings and truths of God are so obvious for other people's lives. When it's my life, it's so much more nuanced. And surely that can't be it. Or I think about those people who, um, one of the common things you saw was it's a lot of rental trucks. It's people, they just, they honestly don't know. They're not used to driving a big truck. They don't know how tall the vehicle they're in is. They don't realize that they're, that they're higher than 11 feet, 8 inches. And how often has that bitten me in life where I, I just don't even know what I'm doing wrong. I think I'm doing everything right, and I don't, even, I don't even fathom that there's a big whammy waiting for me because I didn't know how tall my truck was. Or the other thing I thought of is, is how often I get so laser-focused in. I've got to get there. I've got to get over there. This is the way to get there. And even though there are warning signs, even though there's things that are telling me, stop, stop, pay attention, you know, recalibrate, you know, figure something else out, I, I get so locked in that I just, I've got to get there. That's what I'm aiming for. And, and I become inflexible, rigid, unable to even consider that there might be a detour or a different path that I hadn't noticed before. Unable to even you know, consider the idea that, that this path I'm on is going to end badly. And I just, even if I knew that, I just wouldn't even be able to think, what else could I do? I just got to keep going because I know I've got to get over there. And these are all the things we bump into. And the solution is one that we see in this Christmas story. The solution is we have to find a way to look up. When you're used to a life where all of the threats, all of the traffic patterns are down here, you're looking for pedestrians, you're looking for other cars, it doesn't even occur to you to look up that there might be something that's outside of your, outside of your view. That's the answer. We need to look up. But I saw a really fascinating parallel in this poor civil engineer who puts in a big glowing sign that if people would just look up, they would see it and they would be saved from catastrophe. And yet they don't. And I look at our Christmas story, and yes, it's amazing, and we focus on these characters of the shepherds or Joseph or the wise men, these people who were willing to look up and see what God was showing them. And they changed their paths. They did something new and different and they found joy and salvation on the other side. But when we focus on those characters, we ignore the fact that the other 99.99% of humanity didn't do that thing. Angels came in glory, they lit up the sky, and no one except for some shepherds actually paid attention. No one stopped what they were doing, changed their path, reevaluated their choices, they just kept on living with their heads down, aiming for whatever finish line they were aiming for. And it occurs to me that there's another way to solve the problem of this 11-foot-8 bridge in Durham, North Carolina. What if instead of relying on a sign 
that you knew people were going to ignore. Or instead of putting lights up that they need to look up and see and make a conscious choice to change their path. What if you put a person out there and every time he saw an overheight truck coming, he jumped in the road and started waving his arms, yelling, stop, stop, stop. Do you think that would fix it? I think it might. I think it would get people's attention more clearly. I also think what's going to inevitably happen if we go that route is that person's going to get run over. But at least the bump of that person would save the person in the truck and the reason why they have that steel bar there in the first place, which is to save the lives of all of the people that are going over the bridge on the trains. And what's fascinating to me is that that's actually the solution that God himself came up with. That when we didn't see the signs, all the words written down in the Bible, given through the prophets, and we didn't change our path, and when he sends his son into the world with glory, with angels lighting the way, and nobody noticed, God ultimately finally just threw his son in the path of our speeding trucks so that by sheer cost of his own life, he could get us to stop before we wrecked our lives. The city planners, the state planners, the train owners, they looked at that bridge and they said it's too costly to actually fix it. And God looked at that same situation in our lives and decided it was worth the greatest cost of all to keep us away from it. And he predicted, he knew he was gonna have to do that eventually. He knew that we were too dumb, too distracted, too locked in, too out of our element to change course ourselves. And so he had to change the course for us. And this is what he predicted through the words of his prophet Isaiah. As he looked at his hurting people who kept running into all sorts of bridge-like catastrophes, he said this, look, I know it's hard now. I know you feel like you keep wrecking yourselves now, but arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. He promised those words a thousand years before the Christmas story came along. And we got to see part of its fulfillment in this story that we've heard tonight. But its final fulfillment came when, when God actually took his light and didn't just have it as an external sign to try to get us to look up and change our course, turn our eyes away from the darkness. 
But when he finally said, I'm gonna put my light on you, I'm gonna sacrifice my life for you so that you now actually have that light in you. And looking up is still a good thing, but it's a thing that God has taken out of our hands because he has risen up his son. He has shown his light, not just into a dark world, but into our hearts. He's done everything he could to block the trucks of our lives from wrecking, derailing, hurting ourselves, and hurting others. Which means the Christmas story is the beginning of the story of how God paid the highest cost to rescue us. It's a profound truth. And I pray that it's not just a truth that we pay attention to once every 365 days. I hope that if you look back on your life, you can actually point to moments where God threw himself under the truck for your sake, where he spared you from a bad decision, he took the consequence of something that should have hurt you more than it did. He showed you a path to a better way by shining a light towards a new way to go. And if that's true, and it's so true on this night, then that means it's true every other night of the year. And if that's true for us, then how does that change the way we live? If we are the trucks in this metaphor, how do we drive differently? How do we shine that light before others so that they can avoid the fate that God took away from us? What does it mean to live life looking up, beholding the goodness and the light of God, and every day waking up anew with the truth, the knowledge that you have been rescued from the darkness? I pray that that truth shines bright in your heart tonight. I pray that it shines bright in your heart all year. Let's pray. Lord God, you are truly beyond belief because you do solutions that no one else would have done. You pay costs that no one else would have been willing to pay. And you do it all, Lord, so that we can experience joy, the joy that you designed us with from the dawn of time. And so Lord, I pray now that this place, as we, um, as we light candles here in a few minutes, that that's not just a, a symbolic light that lights up this one room, but that the light that shines in our hearts because of your sacrifice for us, that it would light up this whole world. And that a place is full of darkness will now be full of light, not just because of what you've done, but because of how we reflect your goodness to the world around us. Lord, let us be your candles in a dark place this Christmas and every night. Amen. It's so easy to live life with our heads down and our focus in the weeds. It doesn't happen all at once, but slowly over time. Bit by bit, we make the decision to keep our vision down and our eyes fixed on things that we think we can control instead of looking up towards the possibility of something bigger, God's vision for our lives. 
please confess this with me. Lord, I confess that I have dropped my eyes and turned my attention away from the good that you offer me. I have let fear and doubt take the place of my trust. Help me see your hand at work in my life. Give me the perspective that can only come from a relationship with you. Help me to turn my fear and doubt over to you. Amen. Whatever fear or doubt you've had, God doesn't hold it against you. He doesn't sit back and say, well, it's your fault for not reading the signs, your fault for not looking at the light, your fault for running into the bridge. He comes down and says, I'll take it all away. His goodness is for you, for me right now. And on this day where we celebrate the moment where God entered the world to fill our hearts with his light, we also celebrate this very real way that he enters the world each and every time that two or three are gathered in his name, remembering his sacrifice and what he did for us. And so let me tell you again about the night that our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ didn't enter the world once and for all 2,000 years ago, and he didn't leave it for good 1,970 years ago. He's in this world right now, in you, in us, shining his light for our sakes. Come and receive his goodness at his table tonight. Now, before we take communion together, I invite you to all be a part of that. If you need more information, you can read about that in the cards around you. But we do do a little special thing tonight as part of our communion practice. Now, you can come up and you'll take communion, and then you are invited, after you've received the bread and the wine, to come grab a candle that's in a basket or in a box, and to light it from one of the candles that will be lit here on the stage, and to flood this stage and this altar with the light of every person that's in this room. So for most of you, all of you over there, take communion, light a candle, and then we're gonna sing a little more. I do wanna call out all you lucky folks that are sitting in this section. You're gonna just do it in the opposite order. Take a candle, light it, then do communion, all right? I think you can handle it. I think you're the smart ones. You got this. So come forward and let's receive the goodness, the light that God has promised us. Ushers, you can come forward.